Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. In in my reading and, and talking to people who have biked around the world or walked around the world, there's one country that seems to come up a lot as a favorite, and that country is Turkey. People are always amazed by the diversity of landscapes, the culture, the food, the beauty, the history, uh, but what they mention most of all is the kindness of the Turkish people. So I'm excited today to have a local guide, Kerem Kararkik, uh, from, uh, who works in Turkey on the podcast to share more about what makes Turkey so great. Hi Kerem, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. So to start with, Turkey suffered a devastating earthquake in February, and I wanted to know how things were in the country right now, and is it, is it still a good time to visit Turkey in 2023? Yeah, it actually, maybe for that sole reason, is a good time to visit Turkey, because first of all, let me just say that Turkey is a really big country, and the earthquake area was really huge, a big area was affected, but... There are many parts of Turkey which are totally not affected by this particular earthquake. Many people now who lived in that area have moved to other places, for example, like where I'm living, Cappadocia, and they need jobs. So tourism is a very, very good opportunity for these people because tourism requires a lot of part-time job works. So these people who just cannot find work in their home uh, places anymore, just came to other places uh, like Antalya, Cappadocia, mainly touristic areas. And uh, if there is a lot of travelers coming to Turkey, it will be also helping the victims of the earthquake in an indirect way. Uh, What a great thing. You can actually have an incredible holiday, enjoy the beauty, the sun, the sights of Turkey, and help the country recover from the earthquake. Uh, It's rare you get to travel and relax and also help people. You've been a guide. You work with lots of foreign travelers. What do you hear from them? Like, why, Why are people so enamored with going to Turkey? First thing comes to mind is the the fabled Turkish hospitality, I think. Because in Turkey, it's really a tradition, the hospitality. It's like uh, something part of the culture that really... Guests are to be treated well, and uh, even though tourism is now a huge industry, it's an industrial thing, still, in many places in Turkey, maybe with the exception of like really big five-star, seven-star holiday villages and things like that, many people will treat you like guests, not uh, tourists. I think this is what makes people feel the most welcome. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what uh, what I've heard and what I've read, that you know people doing an around-the-world bike uh, trip will be stopped on the side, or side of the road and be given melons or invited home for, peop- for dinner with a local family. Uh, it's definitely not something you hear of very often in Europe or, uh, or here in North America. I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the bucket list trips in Turkey. And uh, the one I've always uh, been interested in is the famous Lycian Way. Do you want to maybe describe a little bit about what that trek entails? Sure. The Lycian Way, first of all, it's the Lycian Way, not the Lycian. 
I, I know. I, 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 when I said it, I thought, have I said it right? I've only ever read about it. And then, yeah, no, it's, I said it wrong, obviously. <laughs> it's like almost a 200 years old mistake, which is why it is so difficult to correct now. So it, this mistake was first my, made by the travelers who came to Turkey in 1850s. Oh, wow. And they mispronounced it. So now the whole world knows this area as Lycia or Lycia. So it's not an uncommon mistake. That's very, very hard to correct now. But um, the word comes from the Hittite language, the land, the word for light, uh, Lukt. So Lukia means the land of light. Uh, so the Likin Way is um, a series of old roads from many different uh, civilizations and time periods, Roman roads, Greek roads, Ottoman roads, migration routes from different peoples. So all of these uh, roads connected to each other under the concept of the Lycian uh, name because the peninsula, the place where this all happens, was called the Lycian Peninsula or the Lycian area in the ancient times. And this was made by a British Turkish lady, British origin, now she's a Turkish citizen as well, Kate Klow. She has been living in Turkey for a long time and she fell in love with the old roads and she decided to create this long distance walking route, which is 510 kilometers long. She completed this in the year 2000, uh, funded by one of the Turkey's biggest banks as a project for the new millennium. So she uh, was funded by it because she won an there was a competition, like a project uh, competition, and her project was one of the winners. So uh, she made this uh, long-distance walking route with volunteers, with people who want to help over a period of two years' time, finding these routes, connecting them together, cleaning them, sometimes carving out with uh, shovels and with picks, you know, uh, in places. And in the end, the result was a big success. Uh, it's visited every year now, more than maybe 20, 30,000 people. I don't know exact uh, recent numbers, but it's, it passed the 10,000 per year mark long, long time ago, years ago. And it's been described as uh, one of the best 10 walks in the world by many magazines and newspapers so yeah uh, this is the Lickian way in new short what's the best time to walk the Lickian way uh, the best time to walk the Lickian way is either in the spring or late in autumn because the summer months are really really hot there so you wouldn't enjoy walking any time after june and before maybe mid-september September, October, even November is a very nice time. And April and May are really good times to be there. And winter is also kind of nice, but you have to be lucky because in the winter, it can be very, very rainy. Oh, really? And then how hard is it? You know, you mentioned it's 510 kilometers. What can people expect? Is it, you know, lots of ascent and descent or is it, you know, fairly flat? Uh, it's not fairly flat. There is lots of ascent and descent. It's an, uh, in parts, it's an undulating path. You can accept up to like seven, eight hundred meters climbing per day. 
The thing I think which makes it difficult for most Europeans and for most um, Americans is that the path is not like the paths you are used to in Europe. It's not all smooth and uh, uh, well worn. It's quite rocky in places. Sometimes there are like large stones uh, on the path. So walking and footing is not so easy as the well worn paths in many countries in Europe. Uh, oh, wow. I, I, I didn't realize that. Uh, when you're doing the Lycian Way, do you have to bring a tent or are there villages you can stay in every night? You could bring a tent, but almost now, I think every night, maybe with an exception of one or two nights, you can find a place to stay in the villages. The villagers have really um, adopted this Lycian Way. They have they like it a lot because it brings people to mountain villagers. Otherwise, nobody would visit. And uh, to be honest, they were kind of dying out because young people didn't want to live in the mountain villages anymore. So the Likin Way brings people and work and money into these villages uh, by a sm very small scale and uh, eco-friendly tourism. Uh, so the villagers, most of them, really like it. And uh, so they have really adapted very quickly to the Likin Way by opening their own houses as guest houses and then slowly starting to build small bungalows next to their houses in the garden. And so, so now it's very kind of small scale and nice accommodations all along the Licking Way. It sounds really authentic that, you know, you're not staying in massive hotels. You're getting to know individuals and their families and seeing how uh, mountain life has been for centuries because this is an area that hasn't been up until recently exposed to lots of foreign tourists. Would you say that's that's a fair statement? Exactly, exactly. It's um, Yeah, there are, of course, places sometimes when you come by a seaside place, like a very famous holiday place other than the walking walkers, like, uh, for example, Chirale, which is in the middle of the Likin Way. But it's not only for walkers. Many people just come there for sea holidays. So at that times, you will see like kind of more luxurious or more industrialized uh, hotels. And uh, But even in that place, you can find small family-run pensions. In many other places, especially when you are a little bit off the beaten track and going up the mountains or little mountain villages, it's basically one family who runs the place and it's just their family business and probably next to just to their home where they live. I think that sounds great. Uh, and I think that's, you know, you mentioned it. It's a way of sharing the benefits of tourism throughout, you know, a country instead of everyone just going to Istanbul or going to a beach resort. It brings tourists to different parts of the country. It makes it uh, uh, much more sustainable because people are walking between villages as opposed to flying or, or, or busing. It really is a success story in terms of diversifying the economy and helping helping people that were struggling to have an income. Yes, it is. And it's also, it's also nice because it's a really long walking route, so 510 kilometers from one end to the other. And even though there is like 20,000, maybe even more people visiting it per year, people don't come in masses. So small scale, uh, little family-run businesses can still handle it. 
So they don't have to entertain 300, 400 guests in a night so that they have to become industrialized, uh, like in tourism-wise. So people still come in like five people, 10 people, groups or couples, individuals. So uh, the most of the places can remain small scale and nice. Is there a part of the Lycian Way that you like the most? You know, over 510 kilometers, probably pretty diverse. But are there some places that you really like? Yes, I like area around the big mountain in the middle. There's a mountain called, Turkish name is Tahtalı Mountain, but the ancient name is Olympos. It's one of the many Olympos mountains in the old Greek world. <laughs> it is 2,365 meters high. And the two days of, or three days of walking, starting from sea level, climbing up to the mountain and going to the other side, uh, are one of my favorites. I really, because I like the mountains a lot. Uh, but also the part from Faralia, starting going up to the Kabak, down to the Kabak beach, and there from up to the mountain villages of Alunja and Gay village, are really nice stretches, I believe. And the part around Chiralı and Kash are also very nice. There are lots of favorite parts. <laughs> you mentioned going down to the beach and, you know, you do have some, some parts of the walk where you're near the water. Is the water going to be warm enough to swim in in either spring or autumn just to cool off? Or do you recommend a specific time to go if you want to combine some? I love to combine swimming and hiking when I'm on the Mediterranean coast. Yeah, in the spring, uh, it depends on the day. If it's a sunny day, it's... Yeah, definitely a swimming day because <laughs> seawater is getting warm enough already. But for autumn, that is even better because the whole through the whole summer, the water got warm and it doesn't cool off so quickly. So even when the day is a bit cloudy or something, you could still swim in the autumn. And in the spring, most of the days, if it's a sunny day, you can swim. I love the sound of it. There's nothing better than after a hard day of trekking to go and jump in like a warm, a warm ocean and float and swim around. Uh, it really is uh, a, such a great experience. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Lycian Way. I'm interested in some of the other great trekking in Turkey. Are there some other routes that you think uh, travelers should know about? Yes, uh, my all-time favorite, my definitely favorite part of Turkey, which is also very little known by foreigners. Mostly Turkish people go there. It is called the Kaçkar Mountains. It is in the northeast of Turkey. It's between the cities Trabzon, Rize, and Erzurum. It's a mountain range going towards Georgia, going toward the border of Georgia, so the northeast corner, really. It is... Um, very untouched, not totally untouched, unfortunately. Recently, they have been building more roads and maybe sometimes some mining companies will come too. But still, it's one of the most untouched parts of Turkey because um, the mountains are a bit higher. The highest peak there, Kaçkar Summit, is 3,937 meters. And the mountains climb really high from the sea level very quickly in a, in a matter of 30, 40 kilometers from zero to 4,000. Oh, mountains wow. Go up. 
So this this uh, forms a big like a wall for the cool air coming from the sea, and this causes a lot of rainfall, uh, which leads to incredibly lush, incredibly green landscape. There are a lot of mountain rivers, lakes, waterfalls, so many forests and different uh, flora and fauna. It's an in incredibly beautiful place. And what's the best time of the year to go to to the to the cat? How do you say it? the Kachkar Mountains? The Kachkar Mountains. They are high mountains, and it is just opposite uh, of Likin Way. The best time to be there is August, first two weeks of September, and last two weeks of July. Otherwise, <laughs> you, you won't reach the higher pastures because of too much snow. Uh, I, you know, you're so lucky in Turkey. You can kind of hike all year long. Here in Canada, we have kind of three months where there's no snow. Uh, you're very lucky. You have trekking all year round. Uh, that's, you know, th th that sounds really, really like a special place. And I know everywhere around the world trying to get away from, you know, uh, trying to get to places that are, you know, uh, more natural is really hard. And uh, getting an insider tip like the Kashgar Mountains is uh, is really, really cool. Are there any other trekking destinations you recommend in um, in Turkey? For easier walking, for people who don't like any strenuous or difficult walks, I can definitely recommend Cappadocia. Cappadocia is also a very special landscape, unique volcanic landscape with amazing rock formations. And we have nice valleys in here where you can um, do like three, four hour walks and the walks are not too much climbing or going down. Uh, walks are easier there. So, and also very accessible. Like if you get tired in the middle of a walk, there is always a way out and to catch a transfer or to get somebody to pick you up. So if uh, somebody's looking for like some nice, easy hikes with amazing landscape and beautiful views, then I would suggest Cappadocia. Now, I've always seen all those hot air balloons in Cappadocia, and I've always wondered, what's the background? How come there's so many hot air balloons specifically in, in Cappadocia? That all started with a British lady and a Swedish or Swiss, I'm not sure, guy. But they were a couple. They were living in Cappadocia, and they started the first hot air balloon company in Cappadocia. Uh, that's around 30, 35 years ago, I guess, because it's a very interesting landscape to see from the top. And because it's also very good for balloon flights. You, you can fly more than 250 days up to 300 days a year because early in the morning, the water is, uh, the air is generally stable. The weather is good for balloon flights. Uh, so these are two very good uh, qualities combined together to make it a very, very nice place for balloon flights. So it caught up and now we have so many companies doing um, so many flights that they had to put a quota that every morning only 170 balloons can fly <laughs> or more. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I know Cappadocia also has some pretty good mountain biking. And, you know, do you want to maybe just share a bit about what the, what people can expect from the trails if they want to, you know, go bike riding in and around Cappadocia while they're there? 
Yes, they can find anything from road biking in not so busy roads with little traffic and dirt roads to some really serious single track difficult mountain biking. So uh, it has the variety and it has so many valleys that you could spend like um, maybe maybe one week could be too long, but three days, four days. If you added the surrounding areas like the Aladalar or Kayseri where there is a big volcano, you could easily spend a week of mountain biking in and around Cappadocia. I'm a road biker, and so I'm interested. Where would you recommend uh, road biking? If someone wants to go on a road biking where they can find quiet roads and beautiful scenery, are there places that you think, oh, this is a place you should check out? Yes, I, sh- I would definitely recommend the Aegean coast of Turkey, starting maybe from Selçuk, Şirince, Ephesus, that area, and going down uh, all the way to the the Cape, where you turn from the Aegean coast to the Mediterranean, Dacia area. Uh, so also around Dalian and Kaunos, these places, uh, the southwest corner of Turkey, generally speaking, but the Aegean side of it, not the Mediterranean side of it. Is that part of Turkey? Is it quite rainy or is it is it quite dry? Like, is there a certain time of the year to go where you can get kind of warm, dry temperatures? Mm. In the summer, this part of Turkey is quite dry. In the summer months, uh, maybe for three months, we get very little rain, maybe only a couple of days rain, and all the rest is dry. And in maybe April, May, or after October, it can become more rainy. Uh, interesting. I have to add that to my bucket list because there's nothing I enjoy more than, you know, going on a quiet road in a place I don't know. And, you know, with Turkey, with all the history, I can just imagine I'd be stopping my bike every five minutes to look at, you know, something that's, you know, eons or centuries, centuries old. I want to talk a little bit lastly about uh, pilgrimages because coming out of the pandemic, it's been uh, interesting to see how many people have wanted to go on a walking holiday or a biking holiday along an ancient pilgrim's route. And I know there's the St. John's or sorry, St. Paul's pilgrimage in Turkey. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that route and what people can expect? Sure. Uh, St. Paul did a lot of long pilgrimage walks in his lifetime. This one follows his second pilgrimage walk. He started from Cyprus. He landed somewhere near uh, Side, today's uh, ancient sites uh, of Side. And then he walked up all the way to Antioch of Pisidia, the Pisidian Antioch. So this is a Again, a long-distance walking route, about, again, 500 kilometers, starting from Antalya, but this time, instead of going parallel to the coast, it goes directly inland, up north, um, into the lake district of Turkey. There are a lot of lakes around in that area, and you can uh, bike or walk uh, in this really nice uh, area with a lot of mountains and lakes. After Antioch to Pisidia, Sampol in one walks, he continued back towards his hometown Tarsus, and in the other one, he went further on 
to Alexandra Trust, and then he crossed to Greece, today's Greece, and then he went all the way to the Rome. And there is a rough idea, maybe in the following years, to make it a whole continuous road from all the way from Rome to Jerusalem, uh, a big pilgrimage uh, walking road. And Kate is, uh, I think, involved in this uh, work at the moment, but I don't know how uh, it is going and when it will be ready. It's a really huge project. Uh, but St. Paul Trail is definitely a part of this huge pilgrimage walk between Rome and Jerusalem, two holy cities. And um, uh, so, yes, there are a lot of interesting places like Antioch de Pisidia, where St. Paul made his first speech to uh, non-Gentiles, like uh, the first time he spoke of Christianity to people who were not Jewish. It was a a big important turning point in the spreading of Christianity. And there are some other old ruins of churches and things on the way, and there are some really beautiful stretches of Roman road where you can still walk on it, not 2,000-year-old Roman road that you can uh, walk on. Uh, it's a very, very uh, also interesting and nice walking road, in my opinion. Uh, you know, that just sounds incredible. The idea of, you know, one day being able to walk from Rome to Jerusalem, you know, two of these, again, ancient, ancient cities. Uh, for the uh, the St. Paul's pilgrimage in Turkey, is this something where you can stay in a, a village or a hotel or a guest house every night? Or do you have to carry your backpack with a tent with you? This part of Turkey is uh, less developed for infrastructure, tourism infrastructure than the Likin Way. So, yes, in some parts of the trail, it is better to have a tent with you. But again, many times in many parts of the walk, you will find a village house, a small pension, family-run pension to stay in. So if you uh, plan ahead and you check where you are going, you may not have to, you can do it without camping at all. Uh, but if you want to do all of the trek, without any transfers in between, then you should carry a tent with you. What a great experience uh, it would be. And, you know, just as you've talked, you know, there's so much history in Turkey. I know a lot of us in North America, we look at Europe and saying, oh, Europe has, has a lot of history. But then as you start to understand the history of Turkey, it's it goes back farther. And, and you know, it's just this melting pot of all these, you know, different different uh, empires going back thousands of years. For you as, as, you know, a Turkish person, are there places in Turkey that you go to that still amaze you, you know, from like just, just the history and, you know, the the feeling of, holy crow, look how long people have, have lived in this part of the world. Yes, the, from that perspective, definitely the place called Göbekli Tepe near Urfa, that is the so far discovered first settlement in the world. This is the place that uh, our hunter-gatherer uh, ancestors decided to settle down and make a city, make a town for the first time in, uh, in the history of humankind. And that is where they built the first temple. That was the reason of uh, settling down. They wanted to stay next to their temple and not keep on uh, going around as hunter-gatherers because 
they had their burial sites and their place of worship there. And this is how the first uh, settlement started. And that was roughly around 12,000 years ago from today. And this is, I think, a very, very mind-boggling place. There are similar uh, temple sites close to it on other hills in the same area. There is one place called Karahantepe, which is soon going to be open to visit as well. Uh, it's at the moment not open to visit, but I think uh, very soon it will be open. Part of this area is was affected by the recent earthquake, and it's kind of the earthquake zone, but uh, I think Urfa and the city itself and the surroundings were not affected that much. They were barely at the edge of the earthquake zone. So I think um, tourism and normal life, all, all activities are uh, returning back to that area already. And people are not feeling the effects of the earthquake anymore. So uh, for people who would be very much interested in the origins of uh, the settled life, the irrigation, uh, the first time making of the beer and those kinds of things, Urfa and Göbekli Tepe would be a very interesting place to visit. You know, it, it does. I've never thought of the thought that, yeah, some, at some point, some group of people just said, no, we're going to, we're going to stick around here. We're going to build our life here. It was, you know, as revolutionary as the iPhone was 15 years ago, uh, you know, being able to just build houses and, and have one place to live. Um, you know, Karim, it's been great hearing all this information about Turkey. Uh, again, every person I talk to just tells me how great Turkey is, whether or not it's my in-laws going to Turkey for a beach holiday, my sister going trekking, people riding around the world. Uh, so it definitely should be a place on your bucket list. I want to say thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing all this knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. I would like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to present my country in your podcast. Thanks. Uh, it's, it's definitely been been our pleasure. Um, and uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about some of the places Karim was talking about, I'll put some links to some tours that go through these areas in the show notes uh, so you can get a feel of, you know, what these places look look like because the words are spectacular. But when you actually see photos, it's, it's sometimes hard to believe like, holy crow, this, this exists. Um, so check out the show notes if you want to learn more. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.